Gilchrist has always been driven to overcome the challenges he's faced by wanting to help others. In this episode of Growing Through It, Gilchrist shares about trauma at an early age that has had repercussions for a very long time, including suicide attempts, incarceration, and homelessness. At a few different times in his young adult life, Chris has connected with Roots to Harvest, and he's focused on making changes and connecting to people, including his young daughter. Growing Through It shares stories from young people who all have the common experience of being a part of Roots to Harvest, a human-centered, food-focused, not-for-profit in Thunder Bay, Ontario. My name is Gilchrist Hoshek, and here's a bit about my life. What do you think your relationship with Roots to Harvest is right now? I'd say it's still uh, pretty close. Like I've kept in contact with Erin over the years, and she's helped me out. Right now, I'm dealing with homelessness, and she's been helping me out a lot with that. She actually bought me some clothes for the winter because I actually had to spend a few nights out in the cold. Just to know that Roots Harvest, Aaron specifically, was there for me during all these hardships it means a lot to me. And I'd really like to be there for Roots Harvest in the future. What was your mindset on your very first day at Roots to Harvest? It was a bit of an interesting one. Like I was there for a summer job. Initially, I didn't even know what to expect. Like I went there and I was like, okay, where's the job site? Where's the building? You know, where's the boss? And I see Aaron. I was like, hey, uh, is this where Roost Harvest is? And she's like, yeah, welcome to the site. And she hands me a, uh, a gardening tool at the time. Yeah, it was started off just as a school credit and she offered some uh, summer employment and it really met my exceptions. It's been one of my funnest jobs to this date. How do you think your mindset has changed from that first day to the present day? It's still a little bit different because uh, obviously I don't have as much contact with the Roots as I did back in the day, like whenever I was a teenager and I'd like to volunteer when I can. How did you find yourself coming to be involved with this opportunity at Roots? Were you contacted by Erin? Yeah, she offered me a, a bit of an opportunity to share my story and make a little bit of incentive out of it. It's a bit of a win-win because, uh, as I said, like every dollar counts at this moment in my life. It's been tough and glad Erin picked me for this opportunity. At what point did you realize that you were on your own? When I started asking her, because the whole reason why I got homeless was because I was incarcerated before then and I got released. I thought I had family there for me. I mean, initially they were, but I didn't like the choices that they were making and I didn't want to join them, substance use and stuff like that. And I had a big fallout with them. And then because of that, I had nowhere to go. And it was like minus 30 at the night. And I almost got frostbite one night because, uh, you know, I was just outside, a leather jacket, just a long sleeve and a t-shirt. It was then I knew I was alone there and I eventually got into an isolation hotel. That's when Erin and I started talking and she started helping me out. So Roots has had like a big impact on your life? Yeah, like back when I was a kid and like even now, like as I said, like, you know, she's done more than I can ever ask. Do you think you found like a sense of community here at Roots to Harvest? Yeah, I do. It's just I'm a bit of a isolated person. I don't know how to communicate with people. Like when I get talking to someone, yeah, I can hold a conversation, but that initial approaching someone and saying, hey, without sounding awkward. You said your profile here that Rooster Harvest, it has like a family aspect being here. Have you been able to keep in contact with any of your coworkers or anybody else that you've worked with here at Rooster Harvest? I did for a while, like back when I was in high school, we eventually went our separate ways. Do you see in the future that Roots to Harvest can help you reconnect with anyone you used to know? Possibly. Yeah. I'd like to meet my old Roots to Harvest crew again. Got along pretty well with them and I wasn't the best friend to them over the years. I wish I was a better friend, but as I said, my jail time made me think of all these critical questions. That being said, it seems like you've been involved with Roots for quite some time now. Since I was 15, I believe, 2014. Was there ever a point where you felt like you knew you were at rock bottom? 
Yeah, like in my days in the, in the street there, not having anything, you know, starving. There was a point where I thought that being in a jail cell would be better than freezing out in the cold. How did you manage that mentally and overcome it? It was difficult to say the least. I aspire to be someone better than I was when I went into custody. I served a sentence and I believed that I had done my time and I wanted to be a different person than I was when I went in there. Yeah, I'm trying. You know, it's just it's difficult at times to stay away from stuff like that. But as soon as I get my job, I'm hoping that all of that temptation will go away. There are ways I can you know, make money, but the way people make money on the streets there is kind of questionable to say the least. You know, I, I don't want to do that stuff. And if I do that, you know, I might spend even more time in custody. And it's not to say that that's the reason why I was in custody, but I was in custody for an assault charge, but that's different. That was the old me. Being inside of there made me prioritize my daughter. I have a two-year-old daughter who I haven't seen in, in about a year and a half now because of all my mistakes I've been making. And I don't know why I don't I didn't get her back yet. I had to ask myself that many times in jail, like, did you enjoy missing her birthday? And you're going to miss your second birthday now. Missed her first words. It was difficult. I think that's what's really inspiring me to get my life around as my daughter right now. Would you consider yourself a glass half full or a glass half empty kind of person? I try to see the good in everything. So in terms of that, would you say throughout all of your hardships, you always could see the positive coming? I try to. Like when I was in the cold, for example, I thought of like all the other people that were also experiencing what I was experiencing. And I just realized that maybe one day I can help other people in this sort of situation. I mean, I didn't think that initially, but like a week after when I got that hotel and yeah, I just really wanted to change my life. And I just didn't want to deal with my family's drama that was going on at the time. Do you think that things are looking up at this point? I'd say so. I have a job interview with Walmart coming up. I hope that goes well. Working on finding an apartment right now. I'm just in a temporary housing right now. I've just been trying to keep myself busy, like job searching, playing on a console that I have, like a Nintendo Switch. It's mobile and it keeps me occupied and, you know, not doing anything and being tempted by negative influences. And I and I sometimes like to talk to people online, like random chatting sites like Omegle, just to you know, let off some steam and to tell someone my story. I grew up in a relatively small reserve. There's like 1,500 people there. It's called Fort Hope. Yeah, I grew up there and I enjoyed it over my first few years there. And there was a time there where my family was struck hard, let's say the least, like it was separated. I don't know when it happened. I don't know why it started, but I guess one time I was hearing some loud noises in the middle of the night and so I was wondering what was going on. And, you know, I go walk to my parents' room to go ask them. You know, I see their whole room. It's, it's all bloody and all that. My mom's all bloodied up. My dad says, get the F back to your room. Then I go run to my room there and just wondering, like, why was there so much blood around? And, you know, I was ignorant at the time. And he took me for some ice cream the next day and told me that it was ketchup or something like that. And I believed him for a while there because, you know, I was so young at the time seeing a, such a traumatic scene. Yeah, like I've seen things like that many times. I think that would probably be my more graphic one that I've seen as a kid. I think I was only like four or five at the time. What point did you realize it wasn't true what he said? When he got a new place there, he started to do it more often. And like he'd started to do it in front of us, drag her by the hair back to the room. And then, yeah, I just hear a bunch of hitting noises. You know, I didn't even know what to do. It's not like as a kid, you know, to go call someone. All you know is what your parents tell you to do. And what they told me to do was just, you know, be quiet. Don't tell anyone. You know, I wasn't abused at the time, but my mom eventually ran away. She took me and my siblings and she told me about what an awful person he was. And 
I believed it. And, you know, I seen her go through all that. So I assumed what she said was the truth. And that's when it all started, really, her drug addiction. And after a point, she started to get physical towards us. Yeah, it was about eight or nine at the time. Anytime I would be a hit, she would say, don't block it, don't don't fight back and stuff like that. It really like got to my head and got to the point where I'd even stand up to my bullies at school. I would be targeted constantly in my own reserve and just suppress like everything I do. Like if I try to laugh, if I try to have a good time, people would bully me for it. Even at home, I didn't feel safe. You know, like if I did one little thing wrong at home, it'll be a slap to the face and she would threaten me to stab me with a fork on my hand if I don't finish my food. She would put my hand on the furnace or something. And that's just a bit of what happened to me as a kid. And that's why I turned out so antisocial as a, at a young age. Even through all that, did you still feel love for your family? Thinking twice about it, but eventually I went to this treatment center for suicidal kids because I tended to take my own life there at the age of 11, I believe it was, because I, I don't know, it's a bit foggy, but I tried to forget. Yeah, I went to a treatment place there. It helped me out. Went to a place for like six months and then I came out to the city and that's when I started to get out of my shell and start to enjoy life again, really. I don't want anything to do with life back then because of how worthless I was told I was and how I'd never amount to anything. Yeah, it was pretty tough, you know, like just being afraid of everyone that someone would make fun of the way I, I speak or the way I talk. Because I used to have a pretty loud voice, like just naturally, I can't even speak loud anymore unless I really try and I've just grown accustomed to having a quiet voice now. And every time I'd speak, they're like, why do you speak so loud? I'm like, what do you mean? I'm just... I'm just talking. What age did you realize that you weren't what your family said you were? Probably when I started around Roost Harvest, because as I said, like that's when I first actually had some real friends. Started to come out of my shell. Like, if it wasn't for Roost Harvest, I might not be as good as I am talking to people nowadays. That was really my training grounds for, you know, making friends. I've never really had friends growing up. You know, I can only list off like a small handful of them. Do you think you can continue to use the social skills to your advantage? Yeah, as I said, like I'm pretty good with my words. There are times where I get jumbled up, but I'm usually pretty good with my words. It's just the uh, overall like anxiety of like going to a certain place. But as soon as I start talking, I usually can say some pretty good stuff. Given speeches before a few years ago, and it's a pretty good feeling like when you're speaking in front of 200 people and sharing your story. Does what happened as a child still affect you to this day? Occasionally, yeah. But I've gotten used to sharing my story. Like I've told counselors about it. I've told friends and family about it. It wasn't easy at first. Like when I first started, you know, just be tearing up the entire time. But eventually you, you get used to these things and you just push through it. So you would say that you can use what happened as like uh, to see life in a positive outlook, break that cycle? That's why I look at it. I don't want to be like the way my parents are. They're both substance users and I don't want that for my daughter. Do you think that one day your daughter will hear your story and be proud of who her dad is? Possibly, yeah. Like, I don't think I'll tell her for a while, though. I'll probably tell her when she's old enough to understand it. Tell her mostly why I wasn't there. That's the thing, you know, I'm kind of scared to go back to her because, you know, I don't, don't know how I'm going to explain where I was and why I didn't try to get her back right away. And I'm trying to get her back now, like doing what I can, but as we know she's in a family where her family doesn't allow her to see me at all. As I said, it's one and a half years now that I've, ever since she was taken from me and from Delico. Are you able to find supports to help get her back? I'm trying to, yeah. Like I'm working with Matawa and trying to get my file transferred to Tiganagan because a big dispute going on right now. Because every time I'd make some progress with Delico, it'll get 
we're set back to square one because uh, the family she's staying at would say that I'm tossing my daughter around and I'm like, I haven't even seen her in this amount of time. And how can I do that? And they're like, well, we're sorry, but you're going to have to start doing some abuse lessons. To put it politely, I just told them to screw off because I was pretty upset that all my progress I made, like eight months of progress and all of that to go away just for someone to say that I was doing that to my daughter and I didn't even see my daughter. I'm like, I think that was when I officially snapped and I started making bad decisions in my life. Eventually, I went into custody and realized all the mistakes that I made. And there's no better time to realize what you've done wrong whenever you're stuck in the same place with nothing else to do. But I've heard good things about Tikkanagan. And the reason why that whole being reset was because a family I see is also with also happens to work with Delico. So they have access to my file. They can put in false reports and confirm it themselves. And no one believes me. I can't take it to management. I can't do anything because of all the rumors about me. I just look like a liar and uh, an abusive father, just like my dad. Do you still know that you're not anything like them? Yeah, that's why I went my own way and I haven't talked to them ever since I've been out of custody. I told them I'm tired of the way you guys are. You guys are supposed to be there for your children. and I'm struggling right now. My sister's struggling right now. My, my siblings are struggling right now. And you guys are busy partying and I can't deal with you guys' lies anymore. They still lie to me to this day. I'll probably forgive them eventually, but for now, I'm, I don't think I can deal with them. It's been hard to, to keep up with that, with, you know, being homeless and just wanting to go back to them and say, oh, hey, can I have a place to stay and prove to myself that I can do it? Occasionally, I just go for a walk to like Boulevard Park before the whole stay-at-home order happened and all that. Just walk around that whole big ring and sometimes I do it twice three times even. Walking around, that's just another hobby of mine. I, I like to think of it as a bit of training for when I get a job, keeping my stamina up so I can stay on my feet all day. Well, I guess on the construct of time, you really hope that you find your happiness, you know, reconnect with your daughter, get friends and all that, because I really think you deserve to have that happiness. Thank you for sharing with us. Growing Through It is a project of Roots to Harvest and a part of the Great Big Stories project through Frame, a global network of youth mental health resources. In today's episode, you heard Lack Williams and Shayna Twans interviewing a past participant to Roots to Harvest. Roots to Harvest lives, works, and plays on the traditional territories of the Fort William First Nations people, signatories to the Robinson Superior Treaty of 1850. We strive to not only learn from and with, but also reconcile relationship with the Anishinaabe people in this area who have cared for and stewarded this land for centuries. Each episode was recorded at Roots to Harvest in Thunder Bay with sound engineering by the folks at Podigy. Growing Through It is thankful for the mentorship and guidance from J.L. Chung and John Thompson, as well as Cornelius Beaver, a supporting member of the interview team. We also want to thank the brave folks who showed up to share their stories and let a larger community learn from and connect to their experiences.